Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation will recap the week that was, including thoughts around the drivers behind the recent market momentum, a checkup on Q1 earnings, and more. Plus, we will preview for you what you can expect in the week ahead. Uh, joining us for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, a Matt Tormey, Associate Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Matt, happy Friday to you. Welcome back. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to the conversation. Hey, Dan. Good morning and happy Friday. So, Matt, maybe we can begin with Q1 earnings. I know we're still in the very early innings of the Q1 reporting season, though. Curious to hear about your observations, your takeaways of the results that we've seen thus far. Yeah, so it's definitely still early as we've only heard from 23% of the S&P 500 market cap and Roughly a third of the companies that have reported so far have been financials, so there's still a long way to go. But overall, our early takeaway is that earnings have been better than the market reaction would suggest. So far, 68% of companies are beating sales estimates, and 78% are beating earnings estimates. In aggregate, earnings are beating by 6.5%, and on a year-over-year basis, Corporate profits are growing by 6%, and revenues are on pace to grow by 11%. And we've seen profit margins come in better than expected as companies have been able to pass through higher costs to consumers. So if we look at the bottom-up estimates for the full year and the second quarter, they've remained roughly flat throughout the reporting season, which is pretty pretty encouraging considering the continued inflationary pressures we've been seeing and higher interest rates. So how have the early results stacked up against our initial expectations for this earnings season? So as we highlighted in our earnings preview report, we're looking for corporate profit growth of 10% in the first quarter, which is higher than the 6% growth we have seen so far. But as more companies report, we expect the final number to be closer to ours. And we do think that the companies that are more exposed to the lower-end consumer and non-U.S. economies could face the largest headwinds, really driven by higher energy prices. But at an overall market level, we don't typically see forward profit estimates move lower in this type of environment when the ISM manufacturing index is at a pretty strong level. So we expect earnings to remain quite resilient. So rounding everything out, we do expect to see 10% S&P 500 earnings growth this year and another 7% earnings growth next year. And we believe stocks will be largely range-bound over the coming quarters until investors have greater clarity on growth and inflation. Thank you, Matt, for helping us to manage expectations there and for providing some reflections on the reporting we've seen thus far. Of course, we will continue our coverage of the Q1 reporting season here on the podcast in the weeks to come. Uh, Maybe we could take a moment, Matt, just taking a pulse on market sentiment. Now, earlier in the week, uh, U.S. equity markets appear to have had some upward momentum. Uh, That was until yesterday when markets reversed course. Uh, We did see some volatility in yesterday's session. In your view, Matt, what have been the drivers of these market moves? Yeah, so you're right, Dan. If we do use the S&P 500 as a gauge for the overall market, equities were up roughly 1.5% through the close on Wednesday, but yesterday's pullback now has the index trading flat on the week. So, In our view, a lot of this reversal was driven by comments from Fed Chair Powell yesterday, who did confirm that a 50 basis point move 
move is on the table for the May Fed meeting, which did send the 10-year Treasury yield up 8 basis points and the 2-year Treasury yield up 10 basis points. And for equities, this move in rates put outside pressure on growth stocks, which did end the day down almost 2%. So in response to these comments, it looks like the market is now pricing in an almost 100% chance that the Fed will hike rates by 50 basis points at its next three meetings. And despite this more aggressive implied passer rate hikes, we didn't see a reduction in longer-term inflation expectations, and there may have been a couple of reasons for this. So first, yesterday's release of the Philly Fed Manufacturing Index showed the highest level for its prices paid component since 1979. And second, initial jobless claims fell to their lowest level in 52 years, which likely added to the already high pressures on wages. So we think that investors will continue to look for signs that inflation is moderating, but until that becomes more clear, expectations are likely to remain elevated. So, Matt, given that backdrop, can you remind us of how CIO's equity strategy team is recommending that investors be positioned within the asset class at this time? Of course. So at this point, investors are pretty aware of the headwinds that the economy and companies are facing right now, including higher inflation and rates, tighter monetary policy, the war in Ukraine, and rolling lockdowns in China as the COVID-19 situation has deteriorated there. But despite these headwinds, we think the U.S. economy still does have some pretty strong momentum, and we think investors should position their equity portfolios as more balanced rather than taking an outright defensive or cyclical pill at this time. So for sectors, we have most preferred views on both energy and healthcare, and a least preferred view on consumer staples. So specifically on energy, the sector has been on a very nice run this year, but we do still think there is more upside ahead. So in our view, the sector is pricing an oil price in the mid-$70 range, which is much lower than spot prices, with WTI crude trading around $100 a barrel. And given sanctions on Russian energy and substantial underinvestment in oil exploration and production since 2014, we expect oil prices to remain higher for longer. Also, the energy sector does hold the highest free cash flow yield among all sectors at roughly 10%, providing yet another attractive reason for investment. On healthcare, this is our preferred defensive sector right now, as relative valuations remain pretty attractive despite the sector's recent outperformance, and relative to its defensive peers, the earnings outlook is more favorable. We've also heard from recent earnings calls that medical procedure volumes appear to be picking up as COVID-19 trends improve, and while it is still possible that Congress takes action on drug pricing reform, time is likely running out and concerns should start to subside. And lastly, we do maintain our least preferred view on consumer staples as the sector does have greater exposure to cost increases and pressures on low-income households could prompt consumers to trade down to private label products. And just one final point, the sector does generate a large portion of its revenues from overseas and a strong dollar would reduce the value of those foreign earnings when translated back into U.S. dollars. Well, thank you, Matt, for outlining for us the sector preferences and the guidance there on asset allocation within equities specifically. So maybe turning to the macro front, we did receive the Fed's beige book. This was on Wednesday of this week, which is always an interesting read. It is considered to be a bit of a lagging indicator, though an interesting read nonetheless. Any notable takeaways from the beige book, Matt, that you can share with us? Yes, yeah, so that's correct, Dan. The Fed did release its beige book ahead of the next FOMC meeting, which is set to take place from May 3rd to May 4th. And 
there were definitely some clear takeaways regarding economic activity, labor, wages, and inflation. So let's dive right into it. First, Fed contacts reported that economic activity continued to expand at a moderate pace since mid-February as consumer spending picks up, the Omicron variant faded in the U.S., and overall manufacturing activity was solid. Second, employment had increased, and there were signs that worker availability was improving. So on wages, firms reported that strong labor demand and inflationary pressures were contributing to higher wages, but this wasn't having a big impact on reducing the number of job vacancies. However, some contacts did provide early signs that perhaps the strong pace of wage growth has begun to slow, so we'll see if more and more contacts are able to provide this type of evidence going forward. And third, inflationary pressures remain strong, driven by the spike in commodity prices following the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the COVID-19 lockdowns in China, which have really disrupted supply chains. And although most of the Fed's contacts expect inflationary pressures to continue, firms have successfully been able to pass on higher costs to their customers, which is something we've also been hearing during earnings season. But we'll see if this resiliency can continue as other contacts have noted that there have been hints of tighter wallets in response to inflation and higher fuel prices. So to sum everything up, it's clear that inflation pressures have been strong and inflation's contribution to higher wages should really have the Fed's attention. So in our view, we do expect the Fed to hike by 50 basis points at the May and June meetings. Thank you, Matt, for providing some highlights there, some takeaways from the Fed Beige book. So, all right, I know we have a couple of minutes left, maybe pivoting over to the week ahead. What will be taking place next week, Matt, that investors should keep an eye on? So next week's going to be busy on both the economic and earnings calendars. So first, starting with the economic calendar, on Monday, we'll receive the April reading for the Dallas Fed Index, as well as the March reading for the Chicago Fed National Activity Index. On Tuesday, a couple of March data points on housing with an update on new home sales and a final reading on building permits. We'll also get the March reading on durable goods orders and April readings for the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index and consumer confidence. On Wednesday, we'll receive the March update for pending home sales. Turning to Thursday, we'll be keeping an eye on the first reading for first quarter GDP, the April reading for the Kansas City Fed Manufacturing Index, as well as continuing an initial jobless claims. And wrapping up on Friday, the release of the first quarter employment cost index will give us a better sense of the growth of total employee compensation relative to the prior quarter. And this will be something that the Fed will be keeping a close eye on. And another print they'll be keeping a close eye on is core PCE inflation for March. We'll also get an update on personal income and spending for March, Chicago PMIs for April, and a final reading on the, Michi- uh, on the April Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. So that was a lot, which will definitely keep economists busy. But turning to the earnings calendar, we are set to hear from roughly 48% of the S&P 500 market cap next week alone including essentially all of the mega cap growth companies. So equity investors and analysts will definitely have their plates full as well. A busy week ahead to say the least. So a lot there to digest though, Matt, with that in mind, do wish you a restful weekend. Thank you very much for dropping by top of the morning today, recapping the week that was, and we'll look forward to catching back up again with you soon, Matt. Thank you again for your time today. Of course. Thanks, Dan, and have a great weekend, everyone.
Thank you, Matt. And again, this morning, we've been joined by Matt Tormey, Associate Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our clients, as well as our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. Uh, These resources can all be located up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.